Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules stream. Love Polyakov coming at you all the way live. We got Giant Geo and we've got Peter R. Quinones uh, coming at you all the way live. It is a great pleasure to be here with uh, Peter, host of Freeman Beyond the Wall. Uh, you have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Raider. That's a very interesting name. I want to ask you why exactly. I, I, own, I own mansraider.com too. Oh wow! What does what does Mance Raider mean? It's a character from the TV, from the TV show Game of Thrones, from the books, the Game of Thrones books. Oh uh, yeah, the books. I only saw the HBO series, but uh, just like Man Beyond the Wall, you seem to be a very big admirer of Game of Thrones. I think it's a good series. I think it's got a lot going for it. And of course, you are the executive producer of the Monopoly on Violence documentary streaming on Amazon. And you are also uh, part of the uh, Great Libertarian Institute. And have you been with the Libertarian Institute from the very beginning? Uh, how, how does um, that come about? I've been there a little bit over two years. Uh, the Libertarian Institute started off as um, Scott Horton started it with Sheldon Richman, who's a legend, and the great um, Will Grigg, the most underrated writer, podcaster, everything of all time. And um, Will passed away suddenly in May of 2017. A great loss, an unbelievable loss. And um, I was, uh, it took a couple years, but um, he, Scott asked me to step in and, and fill his position, which no one on earth can. So um, I'm just basically keeping the seat warm. And I think you're doing a fantastic job of it. And before we kind of get into uh, your origin story, how you found yourself to be within uh, the, uh, I guess, the more spicier part of the uh, libertarian uh, circle, I do want to say that I think the principle that exemplifies today's stream, as well as many of our other streams, is the principle of uh, Spottom Gottem, the Spottom Gottem principle, which is you have to spot... What are the parts of society that are in need of uh, addressing? Then you have to get together with people who may not necessarily agree with you on what the solutions are so that you can work towards linking up to a higher understanding. That's the spot I'm got in principle. And uh, Peter, what got you specifically into the uh, liberty movement? Oh, God, I hate that term. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I used it. What's a better term? Forget no, me. But, well. And I actually use it in the documentary in the, in the portion when I'm uh, and I like cringe every time I hear it um, because a movement. I mean, well, I guess it could be a movement. I mean, Liberty's moving backwards. So, um, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, oh, I, just uh, the war, the war in Iraq in 2003 and the Afghanistan invasion really bothered me a lot. And um, all throughout the 2000s, I was asking questions and no one could answer them. And then some doctor from Texas was up on a debate stage in 2007 and said, yeah, I mean, they hate us because we've been dropping bombs on them for 30, you know, 30 plus years. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should look into this and everything like that. And it was Ron Paul and um, people, I more research I did, I found out he was like a lifetime member of Libertarian Party. So I started reading Libertarian stuff. And um, yeah, I started calling myself a Libertarian. I don't think that's a really good idea anymore. I think it's more, it's an ideology. And 
you know, I mean, associating yourself with your ideology is kind of, kind of stupid. I mean, if it's like people who, I think a lot of the people who call themselves libertarians care more about their identity as a libertarian than they do about actually like having any kind of liberty one day. Hmm. And, um, you know, so it's just, it, it seems like a club and, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually make things happen. And, um, you know, it seems like a lot of people just like being in a club that is a fringe club where they feel like they're right all the time, you know, and uh, that seems to be pretty much everybody today. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, even the left, everybody, I mean, I mean, the libertarians don't really understand how close they, they are with communists when it comes to things like that. Yeah. Com well, uh, com communists have, think they have all the ideas that work. Libertarians think they have all the ideas that work yet. None of those ideas can work in practicality without, <laughs> without doing things that most people don't want to do. Well, this is why I like somebody like uh, Thomas Sowell, even though I'm sure that there are things that you would disagree with him on as well as Geo. Definitely, definitely Geo. But uh, I do like him always talking about unintended consequences when it comes to taking a look at a certain issue and try to see things through. What are going to be the effects of doing something? Not the effects that I want to ha have happen, but the effects that are going to happen uh, despite that. You know, maybe if there's a 50-50 uh, or maybe a smaller percentage of that uh, happening, it's still something worth taking a look into. We're going to get to that a little bit later, though. Right now, I want to dig more into the uh, question of liberty versus tyranny uh, when it comes to, let's say, the difference between your point of view and Geo's point of view. Although, like you mentioned, I think that when it comes to... Uh, G well, Geo, can you tell uh, Peter a little bit more well, about your point of view as far as what you see as being the solution to a lot of the tyrannical problems that we uh, currently well, have today? No, I, well, before you get to me, I wanted to ask... Um, Peter, like what, what brand of libertarianism do you more ascribe to? Are you more of a, like, uh, what would you call like just orthodox, like American libertarian or a Rothbardian or a Hoppian or something like what, what would be I, your particular if, flavor? If I have to pick one, it's Hoppian. Okay. So I don't think we're going to be disagreeing a lot here. <laughs> 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 um, no, I'm obviously more of a, oh, I can't even put a term without like, you know, because I think the term fascist is kind of dead right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a historical phenomenon. But I, I think I would generally be of the dissident right, sort of, you know, okay. verging on yeah, I know. more openness. Not necessarily to absolutism, but to, I guess, American, like a... American Renaissance? Uh, no, no, not really. Like, uh, more of like, yeah, through, I guess, throwing an altar. Yeah, because I have a lot of criticisms of the NRX sort of movement and label that w came out of Hoppy and libertarianism. I think like a lot of those guys, they tend to, I mean, as much as I love Moldbug and Nick Land, don't get me wrong. I think that a lot of them have a tendency to almost replicate a more quote unquote efficient neoliberal project. I know that's like a totally spicy take that would require a lot of... Yeah, Geo is fast food nationalism. No, I am not Richard Spencer. I do not believe in fast food nationalism. I do, do not believe in the uh, the melted mm. uh, mushroom melper. <laughs> Although I, I can um, imagine somebody but, like Nicado Avocado uh, putting on some S&M gear leather Hugo Boss outfit. Well, I might and, be on uh, his OnlyFans soon. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but, uh, 
No, but but this is yeah. this, this is an interesting thing to see what exactly we can contrast here because uh, Peter, I would not say that uh, despite any of the blackpilling that's been going on. And by the way, since Geo's mic is much louder than I expected oh, it to shit, be. Sorry. No, 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 no. Actually, so yeah. uh, Peter, you can actually raise your mic a little bit louder now because it turns out that Geo's mic is way louder but, than I thought. Before so. we get into that, okay. let me. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to know like uh, how you arrived at a more hoppy and understanding of libertarianism as opposed to the, I would say maybe majority of people who identify with libertarianism post the Ron Paul campaign in like the quote unquote libertarian party, which is, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, culture is everything. And I fought that for, I mean, I had a really long Walbert phase. I mean, a huge, mm. a very long Walbert phase. And I started struggling with um, with culture talking to um, Paul Gottfried back in like 2019 Ooh. and some of the things he was saying. And I just when so I'm, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with that. I'm reading. I started reading Moldbug and um, then I COVID hit and I that's if anybody wants to discount the power of culture after the last 20 months. I, I mean, I just don't, this is why I'm, I seem to be screaming at libertarians now more than I do progressives because they should know better. They should, their eyes should have been opened by now. And um, yeah, I mean, so really started digging into Hoppe and Moldbug last, uh, last spring and summer and I just came to the conclusion or really the only way that any kind of um, society based around the kind of liberty that libertarians are desiring is going to happen is yeah. it's going to be something distinctly right wing and, you know, historically right wing about, you know, I, I like Moldbug's idea of a right wing, which is order and then left wing is chaos. And it would be more towards that. And it would be something that would have to be enforced with force. When you're talking about enforcing with force, what specific force are we uh, talking about here? That's my first question. And the second question is, uh, do you see a difference between culture and civilization? Um, I don't think civilization exists. I mean, civilization is the word in the, the root word is civil. We don't live in a civilization. There's nothing mm. civil about about where we are. So everything is culture. Would so, it be uh, well? Would it be fair to say that if we compare, let's say, one mode of acting where we're you know flinging shit around to sitting down and having a nice cup of tea, could we say that they're both equally civilized or no? Well, could we could we say, for example, no. that uh, well, could we say, for example, that uh, I don't know, uh, Liberia is just as civil as uh, Tokyo? No, there's no possible way you could. I mean, well, I mean, Tokyo, it, Tokyo would be more civil. But I mean, the I mean, we don't I don't know that we have a civil society anywhere in the world. I mean, it's just. I mean, it, anything, put it this way, if you're going to have civilization, if you're going to have a, a civil people, it's going to depend on the culture. The culture is going to have to come first. I mean, we have a culture of, I mean, <laughs> liberalism failed. I mean, let, let's, 
the, the idea of like classical liberalism, anything from the um, from the Enlightenment, it's failed. Yeah, we have a society that allows communists to get together and plot and take over the, the take over the universities and take over um, a, a, take over academia, take over the um, the media, take over the government. How how do you allow that to happen? If if you're if freedom if liberty is your number one like goal, how how do you allow that to happen? How do you allow communists to exist in your society? They don't believe in order. They believe that they only they don't not only believe that your stuff is their stuff. They believe your kids are their kids. I mean, how do you how do you put up with that? And then you. You, 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 oh, well, that's it, it'd be imposing upon them. No, their whole, I mean, if you're enforcing with force people's right to, right for, to live freely, sure, but culture, certain cultures destroy that. We see that. I mean, look at the West now. I mean, what, it's all Woodrow Wilson's fault. Well, <laughs> well, I guess, well, I guess it's also when, yeah, you're it's when, you're, when you're talking about culture, let's say if you go somewhere in Japan and then you go somewhere in, I don't know, I, I mean, Belgium wouldn't be the best. Burkina Nor- Faso. Norway, Norway, let's say, right? So you oh. go to Norway and you go to Japan. The difference in cultures would be that, let's say, the food's going to be different, you know, even though both kind of like fermented fish. That's a bad example. Well, it's more than but, that. Though. Yeah, yeah. But no, but what I'm getting to here, though, is that when you're talking about both Norway and Japan, what they do have in common is that, at least as far as I understand, the level of civility one person would have towards another. And I'm not talking about, let's say, somebody that was sent over from a completely different culture that has not assimilated. I'm specifically talking about people who have a have assimilated, have lived there a long time, understand the culture, that even though the cultures themselves between Japan and Norway are different, there's still a certain level of, um, uh, how do I say it, dignity. There's a certain level of how one person treats another, which is why, at least there, I would differentiate culture versus civilization, not to say that anything is by any means perfect anywhere, but just to compare one thing to another. Because I know that the chat already knows this uh, ad nauseum. Peter, you probably do not know this. I'm originally uh, from uh, Russia, from St. Petersburg. And when it comes to the... uh, vials of communism what exactly happened there to my family to their friends the way that they were persecuted uh, put into these uh, mental mental institutions you know force-fed pills against their will to destroy their nervous system stuff like that like this is something that i want to avoid sounds familiar nowadays love (laughs) but but that's the interesting thing because my concern uh peter is that uh when it comes to people especially today who have a lot of dopamine and they constantly want to get those dopamine hits of what's going to be edgier what's going to be spicier and they're seeing all the horrible things that all three of us are seeing today my concern is they are going to be just as quick as let's say uh the united states was to just oh fuck it we're just gonna go into iraq uh just as quick to do something 
that's going to make the kind of system that we had in the USSR, which I'm still not going to compare to now, even though now is not good. Which, again, you're absolutely right. There's no such thing as, let's say, a perfect example of civilization. We got to compare one to another. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, because when it comes to, let's say, uh, Geo's idea of having more of this uh, authoritarian power, top-down power in charge, it may be something that can last pretty good for let's say the first couple of months but then i think the same things are going to start setting in that people like yourself uh, want to avoid living in and i'm curious uh, what your thoughts are there well, my great grandmother escaped moscow after the march revolution in 1917 so i've heard uh stories about russia and her seven sisters got left there and um don't know, see, oh, don't know what happened. We don't know what happened to them. And see, by the way, here's the example. Michael Pamola says it will be like the USSR, only good. So see, this is this is the thing that I'm talking <laughs> oh, about because people because people uh, oh. have this idea that if it's if it's my thing, you know, like they want to apply the rules, the top down rules for everybody but themselves. And commies do the same thing. You know, they say like, you know, Logo Daedalus says under my system, I'm going to be the card carrying communist. You know, I'm going to be the intellectual, the one in charge of disseminating all the ideas. And, you know, everybody else is like, you know, they're just going to have to fall in line. It almost, you know, it almost seems like people want to apply this shit to everybody but themselves. But anyway, I've been rambling on too much here. So l let me know what you think, Peter. Well, that just sounds like what the communists say when, um, you know, like there's a morality problem with people having leadership roles. And the communists say there's a morality problem with capitalism, that capitalism is immoral. And libertarians and, and a lot of people who lean liberty say that, you know, leadership or having any kind of power is immoral. And those aren't, those aren't moral problems, they're engineering problems. It's how you put them together. It's how it's how it's carried out. Um, I mean, if you really honestly believe that you're like having a free society where you can where people can come and you know, can teach communism, practice communism and have a way to gain power and implement those rules, then I mean, you know what it, you know what it's going to eventually lead to it's going to lead to what we have now absolutely which so, is why which is why i think it's well, good that we're able to get into this and actually see in a more detailed way with this conversation where you would draw the line when it comes to let's say the kind of system that the founding fathers intended and what in today's technologically advanced age would be a more practical application of something that would be able to preserve a, a great degree of, uh, you know, the kind of culture that we like and not have a lot of these things occur that are occurring right now. Right. Well, I mean, the founding fathers created a system that was beneficial for them and basically left it open. So, I mean, they, there was also a monolithic not a monolithic culture. There were there were cultural differences back then, but there were areas of the country that had um, monolithic culture, especially in the South. Virginia had a very had a very good culture, um, and that's why I think the Articles of Confederation was so good, is because the states could dictate what they wanted to do, and they didn't have to answer to a national um, a national body. And the Constitution just completely destroyed all of that. 
Um, I don't think, but then again, I, it, it would, it's all going to, it was all based upon the enlightenment and enlightenment thinking. And, you know, what did the enlightenment give us? It took God out of the equation. Now we're God. Now every, you know, you know, I, I don't need God. I have reason. Well, I mean, yeah, that's great and everything, but I mean, put it this way. I judge people generally by their opinion on the 20th century. Do they think the 20th century was a net positive for humanity or do they think it was a net negative for humanity? The, the first world war, I mean, this has been coming for a while, but the first world war basically destroyed um, one of, I think its intentions was to destroy monarchy in the West. Yes. And it, it destroyed it basically any monarchy that was left became was parliamentary and w- was not a um a one man one family kind of monarchy and what followed what followed out of that millenarian century a century of unbelievable death of two world wars i mean an- Another, you know, the United States getting into a war here, a war there. Um, Mao, the starvation, Mao's starvations, um, the USSR, the USSR, um, their experiment with communism and socialism. I mean, everything. I mean, it was what probably close to a billion people were killed by their own governments in one century that's very fucking, horrible that, that's insane it's well, insane let's, uh, well and, let's, you know, and let's, we never yeah. had it, it, i mean that's more than like how many previous centuries combined yeah no sure it's I'm, absolutely absolutely detestable but let's rewind things a little bit bad uh, back so we were talking about russia let's talk about imperialist russia back in the day back in the dizzy as the kids say so there you have an example of uh yeah, thank you. There you have an example of a kind of society that's very stratified where you have, for example, even though the serfs were free, you have somebody who was the uh, son of a serf who could only get a certain position in engineering, let's say. And they could never, no matter how good they are, they could never ascend beyond that particular position. That was the rule. That was the tradition, let's say. You know, it was very stratified. I would argue that something like that, which had no, unless again, you're going with the whole Julius Evola metaphysical René Gunyan thing, unless you're going with that, then I don't see much of a reason to artificially say that you, because you were born of this certain caste, we are going to prevent you from ascending up the ladder. You know, you are not of us, thus it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not going to be able to get up the ladder. So I think that's one of the things that caused, you know, even though you also have the intellectuals coming in and making things pretty bad, I think that frustration of not having, and I think the key word here is dignity, not having dignity to say, I am somebody who is capable of uh, doing something just as good as this other person, yet there are these artificial barriers that prevent me from doing that. I would argue that something like that uh, rose up uh, the fire that ended up engulfing Russia and turning it into a communist uh, dictatorship over time. Well, and the reason why I bring that up, though, it was, yeah. it was financed by capitalists in Germany. 
I mean, with the, or, no, no. Here's it, the thing. Was, oh, it was all yes, financed by the West. It was also opportunity because of the lack of industrialization. Yeah, but when you're talking, yeah, but when you're talking about that, I don't think you're giving as much credence to the point that I'm bringing up. So, no, no, let me let me let me well, set you straight. Hold, hold on, but you could you could maybe say, hold on, you could maybe say you could maybe say that yes, it was financed by the West. It was all planned out. That does not mean that the kind of frustrations that people were feeling then when it comes to not being able to ascend up a hierarchy through one's own uh, through one's own work i'm not going to take that and throw that out the window as if it's absolutely meaningless and the reason why i bring that up is that if we are talking about top down uh, hierarchical societies where the person at the top gets to decide or the oligarchy gets to decide what exactly the rules are and how you should follow them and there's no system of liberalism let's say in place there's no even if i understand it's all agreed upon and uh, you know people may not necessarily follow the rules all the time but if that just goes out the window completely we say we're going to scrap liberalism we're going to scrap the enlightenment what are going to be the things that would prevent that kind of system from drawing up again, which is going to prevent people who are otherwise completely competent from being able to participate within the uh, marketplace? Well, you want, oh, you want to go, Peter? Or? Go, yeah, well, Peter. I mean, the first thing I want to know is how do we know that people who were in those situations were actually upset? I mean, we're actually... Mm -hmm upset at that i mean it was it, it seems to all spring from the thought of um propaganda coming out of communists at the time of socialists at the time um the average serf had way more free time to do things than we do than the person with a job today they had way more free time to do things they had way less interaction with their version of the state than we do I mean, the state's in everything that we do. How do we know that the, how do we know? I mean, it's to, well, to how, say wait, wait, that, hold on. How, how do, how do you know that uh, serfs had way more free time and how do you know well, there's the records left. what the there's quality records. of life? No, no, but I want to know what those specific records are that you're talking about. Do you want to see the data, Lev? Is it yes, turn yes, Bosch on yes. me, Lev? No, no, no. I do. They're okay, no, I do. let me. I'll give you. No, no, I'll give no, you a good I example. I truly, I example. truly do want to see the data because if we're talking about the ways that uh, people lived, who were, I would say, very much under the thumb of people that they were relying upon to tell them what to do and how to do it, and then all of a sudden to have people who finally get a little bit of freedom to then say like, uh, "Hey, like I, I cannot get ahead." Like if it was you, Peter, or if it was me, like if it was me. If I was in the kind of position where I was working and, you know, my uh, father was a serf, I am, a, you know, I am not a serf, the serfs have been freed, but I am working at a certain job and, hey, I, I cannot get ahead, I cannot get this promotion no matter how hard I work, I'm going to be stuck there uh, at this particular level. I'm, I wouldn't want that, like, would you? But that's a tautology because we, we're, I'm comparing it to something now. I'm compare there's no way to answer that question when my whole basis of framework is is modern culture. So people before that like I don't know I don't think well, people, people nowadays before, before that, that are that are would, capable would of don't but people nowadays um that are capable don't achieve like the higher ranks of positions that they're entitled to for their sheer skill which I mean the meritocracy idea is also flawed but let me give you an example of okay one of the greatest um examinations of politics and power that Moldbug actually probably kayfabes how much he actually in, is influenced by is de juveniles on power sorry de juvenile i'm sorry 
but it's like I'm Mediterranean, so I have to pronounce the the J, right? Um, he says that the paradox, and I just, if you go to Joel Davis's YouTube channel, me, him, and Owen, we completed our series reading on power. Uh, he says that the paradox is with the rise of enlightenment philosophy, particularly with liberal social contract theory, which makes a fiction out of the prior state of humanity outside of the modern um, bourgeois liberal state. Uh, they, the paradox is that there's more unfreedom, there's more government intervention than ever before. And he's this weird sort of not a libertarian, but not exactly not a libertarian, not a conservative not exactly a traditionalist. So to Juvenal, he's all across the map. But he says that when you look at the ancient regime, which he calls it, which is before the sort of centralization of absolutism, which is like right around, you know, the Prussians, the Habsburgs, so forth. Uh, he says that when it comes to serfdom, there was a variety of folkways and customs that governed relations between peoples and groups of peoples, and power was much more actually decentralized in the age of kingdoms because there was all sorts of intermediaries within the aristocracy where serfs could mediate their different concerns and ju the judiciary was much more partial which of course is a sin within liberal modernity even though we know that the rule of law is a total bullshit nowadays that's a fiction it's a legal fiction but what he was saying is that when things were of that nature which liberals consider dingy and dark and brutish then the serfs actually had more recompense to what they were owed as opposed to nowadays because nowadays liberal modernity has re rendered populations to two things only the state and people as individuals there is a populace so therefore paradoxically as we achieve this thing called liberty like he was even pointing to the constitution the founding fathers at the exact same second now it's taken away from us in a variety of more, um, let's say, latent ways and, and ways that are not easily apparent because there's all sorts of judiciary and legal fictions on top of the what surrounds the quote-unquote conditions of liberty as coming from the quote-unquote people because that's a nebulous abstract term. That is a fiction. But if people were more in tune with their actual... Um, the facticity of where they're living and the stratifications among various classes and various groups and tribes and so forth, like they were back in the day governed by uh, first pagan folkways and then later with Christianity, the sort of rule of the divine rule of kings, there's a greater sort of noblesse oblige there than just like, I don't know, FDR saying like, okay, we're going to fucking give Stalin whatever he wants. It's like, you know, oh, I guess he's going to honor the, the contract, right? It's like, you know what well, I mean? Well, that, that, that is a There's a naivete in the liberal project. That's what Duvino is trying to say. Well, that is, a, that is a similar thing to what happened, let's say, with uh, Ukraine and with uh, one of the stands. What was it? Uh, uh, Kazakhstan. I think it was... Mm. Ka no, no, Tajik not Tajikistan. The other stand. Uzbekistan. Uh, uh, no, the other stand. But anyway, it's what happened to one. Yeah, I think it actually may have been Kazakhstan that I think about it. Kazakhstan yeah. and Ukraine, when it came to after the uh, Cold War, they gave up their nuclear arsenal to Russia because they had a deal on a piece of paper that said that, well, we're not going to uh, aggress against you. And that was good enough for them. 
to me, that points to, I think, not so much, you know, uh, enlightenment. I think it points more to the stupidity of people that happened to be in charge at the time when they were thinking very short term. But that's the same argument that I would level against people who only think in terms of theory, who read books looking back at the good old days of the noble, the noble serf and thinking, oh, this would be so much better to return to. I think that's also short term thinking, especially in the technological time where a lot of these things, when it comes to tracking, when it comes to just forcing people to abide by certain, let's say, uh, ways of living or else you're, you know, we're going to send the death squads to you. This is another product of the 20th century that we've seen under Stalinism. I don't see any reason why such a project would not be able to be reenacted once more when, let's say, we do get rid of these, you know, uh, horrible uh, liberal principles that uh, you say are, are not needed. I think that once that happens, once people kind of decide to open the door to actually have a top-down rule to bring back like this this good sacred uh, nobility of the uh, little people then i think it's going to be a lot more how do i say this it's going to it's going to be a lot more potemkin villages it's going to be a lot more of this visual propaganda of look how nice and noble all these people are and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of books written like they were back during the Imperial Russia days talking about the nobility of the serf. Meanwhile, what actually ends up happening behind the scenes, nobody really wants to talk about. And that's what I'm talking about practicality versus uh, theorizing all day about these things. And especially when it comes to the actual state of the Russian villages after the USSR and during the USSR as well. It was not a pretty sight, which is why I wish somebody like Yu-Gi-Oh, who does like uh, a lot of these various philosophies, to spend some time in actually living in a place like that, even you know, even today. I'm not even talking about going back to Imperial, Imperial Russia or the USSR. I'm talking about well, just having a little Russia's bit of a, a little bit. Then, uh... then I would love to buy you a ticket for you to experience the whole oh, thing for I... yourself. No, but again, to me, it does come down to all of this kind of, uh, you know, dreamy environment of being secure in one's domicile while fantasizing about other ways of uh, being versus what it actually means at the end of the day to experience a life like that. So I'm I curious. In, I lived in yeah. Romania for a while. How was that? It was fine. I, I I mean, well, Romania is not I'm, Romania is not Russia. Romania is was, not but, that. Uh, but th this wasn't very long after Ceausescu. You know, well, so... all, but all the more reason, because I think that when it comes to somebody like Ceausescu or when it comes to any of the Eastern European communist regimes, you're actually bringing up my point. Interestingly enough, because this is like having a uh, vaccine in a way when you are. It in doesn't Eastern work. No, yeah, well, exactly. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. What do you mean it didn't work? Love, you said the word, man. You, said, you, YouTube, you, said the, you said the word. You shouldn't have said that word because oh, the no. word doesn't work. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yes, yes, yes. We got it. We got to speak in tongues here. But no, the point that I'm getting Love, to no, is that. I can't hold on, hold on. That. Holy crap. No, it was in a different, oh. different context. Different con Okay, fine. That, the algorithm doesn't give a fuck about the context. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Whatever, oh. whatever, whatever. Anyway, when it comes to getting, <laughs> when it comes to getting the ouchie, when it comes to Eastern European powers getting their ouchies, getting their Fauci ouchies, and experiencing what it's like to live under communism, 
I think that that does something to you, which results in, let's say, a state like a state country, country like Poland today, which I think has learned to, you know, be well balanced between tyranny and liberty. So maybe something like Poland yeah, would be something they that they destroy would be. Be, because any communism gets put down, any yeah. national socialism gets put down. Um, yeah. Homosexuality is not encouraged to be in public. I mean, they're they're doing something there that I mean, I don't know. I know people who go to Poland all the time. They really enjoy it. And they they say there's hard, there, the the a lot of the amount of crime there is just basically nil. They're also, um, you know, um, homogenous. I mean, mm -hmm. like I've talked about, I've talked many times about going to Iceland. I mean, Iceland is probably the most homogenous place on the planet. I mean, they have an app, a dating app to find out if you're related to the person you possibly want to date, because that's how homogenous it is. I was there for 10 days. I never saw a police officer. I'd never, I mean, there's, they had like two murders in like two years and they were both by people who were visiting and like the cops have killed one person in the last like 12 years there and they all went to the funeral and the person who killed the, uh, the cop who killed the person like had to retire because they couldn't handle it but that so. is a good example that you're bringing up right now because i am let's say leaning much more into a system like poland versus a system like russia for example and there is definitely a difference between the two so that's why I'm saying we can try to see what are certain things that, let's say, uh, we are so used to experiencing here in the United States that can be done differently. But I really want to go about it in more of a nuanced way, because especially like when Gio brings up the uh, wonderful life of the uh, surf and a lot of people today here, especially in the chat, are agreeing with him about that. Straw man. He never said it was a wonderful life. No, no, of course, because there's various um, technological issues like. You can't. I, you really can't compare civilizations before like germ theory um, till now. Like that's. But I'm saying like the system itself is not flawed just because the certain technological apparatuses of a civilization are not there. That's sort of like this weird presentist bias that we have. But I don't know. Like if you compare Poland to now, like America, like God, like apparently according to like I don't know when Tucker did that thing with. Um, with Orban, uh, if you if you ta talk to anyone like uh, at CNN, apparently um, Hungary and uh, Poland, they're like terrible, evil, fascistic uh, ethno states that uh, I don't know, maybe they they uh, hang. Uh, it's like Iran. They probably hang certain people in public of a certain uh, proclivities. So that's like the total like insanity mm. of our picture of what normies get in terms of any alternative to the like deracinated uh, massified American burger national system, right? So it's like, yeah. Hmm. But just to be clear regarding the uh, surf thing, I don't think that uh, you are saying that they are, you know, living the best life possible, but I do feel like in a way you are excusing certain things that were done back then almost to legitimize close things being done today for the sake of, I don't know, for the sake of better social cohesion, uh, as far as certain things being uh, enforced from the top. But this is what I want to kind of get back to here when it comes to Peter. If we were to implement certain laws here in the United States that were to secure the uh, culture, 
what exactly would those laws uh, look like in your opinion? It would have to start locally. You can't, 340 million people is ridiculous, yeah. especially when you have 340 million people who don't share a culture. It has to be smaller. I mean, whenever anybody talks about, oh, look at this place, they have more liberty, they're doing better, always pointing to some place that has a, a, a much smaller um, population. And if you want to look at places that are doing really bad, you know, look at, look at um, like India or something like that. China. Um, the reason Japan can get away with it is Japan has an amazing culture yeah. that holds everything together. Yeah, I mean, Brian Dawson has lived in Japan since I think 2004. He talked about leaving his iPad at the train station and going back and getting it. You know, oh, he lives later. in Japan? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, well, so, I agree. I mean, there is definitely a high trust society when it comes to uh, people who can't understand each other. But then comes the next question of if we have somebody, let's say, who migrated. I mean, look, even take myself, for example. I am a uh, Russian Jew. My mom's side is Jewish and my dad's side is uh, uh, Russian, Ukrainian, you know, through uh, through those parts. So if I were to, let's say, emigrate into the base and trad-pilled United States of 2040, you know, or my reincarnation would, let's say, then would I be allowed to participate in society? Would I be a second-class citizen? How would something like that work? Yeah, I think it, it's based upon your beliefs. Do you believe, you know, in leaving people alone? Do you have a, do you have a sense of morality to you? Um, what is your sense of morality? Is it based off of uh, practicality and utilitarianism or is it based off of a belief in God or something like that? Um, I think Hoppe is really, when it comes to structuring a, a society, I think Hoppe is where it's at. He, when he talks about covenant communities where people can believe one thing here and one thing there, um, I have some problems with that because letting communists be in the, in the same place and plotting and you know, they're down the road, I guess at least you know where to drop the private, the privately owned drone uh, bomb. But <laughs> what we're looking at, what we're looking at doing right now is um, setting it up so that, you know, some areas, very small areas where people come together and of, and believe have common beliefs, common values, um, setting up their, you know, setting up how they're going to govern and then judging whether they want to let people in or out. I mean, this is, this isn't hard stuff. I mean, when, when you really start thinking about it, you are not, you, you're not going to have order unless people share the same, I mean, look around the world and look at where there is basic exactly. order. And you see that it's people who share a common culture. They share a belief in God. They share a belief in, um, they have a history. I mean, that's, that's another thing. I mean, talk about just absolutely destroying, um, you know, the 20th century was designed to destroy cultures. Um, yeah, I, I don't really like workers unions. It's, it's cool. Um, so, <laughs> but the she has um, more books than Peter Peel feels depression. <laughs> oh, Lisa, my God! Well, this is just this, this is just like my my yeah, James Burnham, my James Burnham, and my Hoppe. The oh, all nice, the book, nice. all the bookcases are out there and everything. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, you're looking. I I do not see how anybody thinks that they can when you 
look at history and look at recent history, especially the 20th century, which sought to destroy cultures, which sought to tear countries apart, especially in Europe, to tear people apart, to tear families apart. Um, I don't see how anybody can think that that works and would work long term and not get what we have now um, without looking to, you know, in a modern, in a modern sense. And then, you know, Reading Ted Kaczynski is another person who can really open up your eyes on a lot of things about culture um, and about the left in general. And I I mean, I just don't see how we how we don't do that. I mean, you don't even if you have people that share culture, all these top down laws you're worried about is less of a it's less of a worry because they want to please each other. Well, if we're talking about starting from a local level, kind of like the Amish are doing, for example, I don't really, and I have to look at this a little bit more, but at first glance, there doesn't really seem to be anything uh, particularly uh, horrible about that at all. But what I'm talking about here more is that at least we've seen in the uh, 20th century, which I agree has been absolutely barbaric as far as technology being used to mow people down. I mean, I mean, again, think of the USSR, think of China. But in that kind of situation where there is a top-down rule, a top-down rule ended up being something that occurred instead of, let's say, there being certain people who wanted to go for communism over here and then other localities that wanted to, you know, you're going to have the white army on the west side and you're going to have the red army on the east side and they, you know, maybe they're going to trade, but it wasn't that. Well, at the at the end of the day, it was a total war for total domination, which I don't think stops unless there is something to stop it from that, uh, occurring. Yeah, so ideology, ideology and shared culture stop that from happening. Mm. People don't kill people. People his, historically don't kill their family members. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, you, sure, you can start pulling out all of these w- one data point here and one data point there, but people don't kill their family members and kill people and kill people that they share a culture with. They coexist with them, to borrow a term from some insane people. <laughs> Maybe, no, but are we, are we talking maybe about the, people... ma- the Mahabharata, but that's pretty much. Yeah. yeah that's... <laughs> well, well yeah. hold on, though. Are we talking about people within the same class? Because if we are talking again about like the serfs and peasants and the uh, and the king or whatever, again, I'm relegating this not to Europe. I don't really know that much about the peasantry system in Europe. But if we are talking about the peasantry system in Russia, it was again, Chad is probably going to go, uh, you know, bananas over here. Well, we go. Lev- at... Lev's talking about no, the Russian me... serfs again. No, but Gio, let me finish my point And then, yeah, no, I got to do it. I got to do it for Peter. So yeah, this is all. Material love. I mean, you got no, no. no. Well, that's <laughs> in that situation. Everybody, everybody, repeat after me. You know what I'm going to say. The nobility treated the serfs like animals, and the serfs were used to being like animals and acting like animals. But they were spiritually like animals. Left. Oh, sorry, I, I said the loud part, the quiet part, loud. I'm very. See, and I'm, I'm not I'm not that big of a fan of that because in my view that diminishes what a human being is. I think a human being should be taught to be more than just some grunting figure that should was... and should and could are two very different things. Yeah. I mean, well, honestly, I, 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 I mean uh, sure, you but can... could well well here, I'll give you an example okay. of how you can do it. Okay. All right. Um so you read up about um the missionaries that went down to Ecuador in the 1950s to um, I can't remember what the guys I can't remember the missionaries name right now 
But he went down there and they had like dropped all these leaflets, dropped pictures of them to this. There's there. There was this Ecuadorian tribe that was just absolutely I mean, they barbaric. They ate. They were still cannibals and everything. And they wanted to bring the gospel to them. So they did everything they could to try and do it. They went in there. They got slaughtered. Okay. Ten years later, the um, the the main guy who went in there, his wife um, wrote a book about how ten years later she was in that village, sitting there, having a meal with the guy who killed her husband. How did they? How, how did in ten years they take them from being barbaric cannibals to people who could sit down and have a meal with? How? Jesus Christ. There you go. Okay. Now I will contrast that with another success story, which maybe involved Christianity to a certain extent, but at the same time, a lot of Japanese people are still Buddhist, they're still Shintoists. There you have a society where, at least if we're talking about their uh, war culture, during World War II, a lot of the troops, from what I understood, they just shot any Japanese person they saw on site because they knew that if they got in close, even if somebody happens to be injured or, you know, they're not going to be taking prisoners of war with the Japanese because they are just going to kill no matter what. And they just have a very different mentality during wartime when it came to that scenario. Look at Japan today. Very different. They still retain certain uh, parts of their culture when it comes to cuisine, when it comes to architecture, when it comes to, I mean, just look at anime, you know, completely different from uh, any of the animation uh, that exists otherwise. So, yeah, no, it is Gio. I mean, you like anime now too, right? But anyway. Oh, so I watched a few. <laughs> like, I, I'm watching JoJo right now. That's pretty good, much... Good, excellent. Yeah. No, but the point that I'm getting to is that here you have an example of a people who were able to be, and again, civilized, I think is the right word here. They were able to get a lot more civilized than than they were before and when i take a look at that example then i don't see anything that would stop let's say more people just like the uh, russians from uh, getting to that uh, higher state i don't think that's a bad thing i don't think it's something well that no we should, this uh... is why mishima was right because it the war destroyed the nobility in japan they destroyed all of the, the warrior caste the kashrayas uh, oh, can, I, I know. Can, can I interrupt for a second? Because I think yeah, yeah, this is ahead, an important ahead. comment from John Ludwig. And he says, and now that tribe has completely lost their identity. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't disagree with you at all. I'm just saying what makes change. I mean, if you are Lev is talking about, you know, that everyone I, I don't believe that liberty is universal. I don't believe that there that most people on this planet desire liberty. They want to be told what to do. I just want to be the ones to tell them what to do. <laughs> Well, it's true. I mean, that that is the ultimate sort of um, like Kantian perpetual peace. The whole world can we can all as individuals give each other the moral law. It's like that's you know. But uh, what was I going to say? Because Lev, you derailed me a little bit. Um, when it when it comes to the uh, the nature of like civilization itself, uh, let me think for a minute. Um, it's complicated when you talk about these more ancient systems of class and of well caste class race so forth um nowadays when you look at like like peter you were mentioning like the commies and all that uh and i certainly am a very uh, a big critic of like like capitalism but i think like when you have 
you heard of what uh, Noam, our, our favorite intellectual Noam Chomsky said recently, right? Yeah, Did you watch I mean, that? He's, he, uh, oh, he's, he's bonk. Yeah, he's yeah, but then you have the some. I, then you have someone like Vouch, who is allowed on YouTube, by the way, to do this, uh, to talk about people who have not received the sacrament. I call that's what I call it. Um, uh, saying that maybe you should put them on an island and start. Do you, Lev? You know about Nizinsky Island, right? Stalin's Nizinsky Island. Mm, rings a bell. I haven't. It's where as he much sent those it. like thousands of prisoners without any food or water or anything, and they had to like resort to cannibalism and like frigid conditions in Siberia and this like dingy island and they actually like raped and murdered the local population there and like the, because the guards would shoot them if they were trying to go so basically this is what Vel- he actually said this you can look this up Vouch basically said that for people who didn't take the sacrament it's our social obligation to place them on an island without food or water and like replicate stalin's death island that's and and he's allowed on youtube but meanwhile if we were to say the name of certain medications on youtube we would probably uh you know, get clipped, right? By Susan, sweet Susan. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes sweet Susan. Sometimes sweet Susan. No, but like even Chomsky, like that is, you know, the whole like nonsense about anarcho-syndicalism. I mean, that's just thrown out the window. Uh, He's he's just a bit of a Chomsky hunk. If uh... No, but like, this is the guy that fucking debated Michel Foucault. And this is like, he's saying like, you know, I mean, it's an insanity, right? But the point being is that when you look at how these things are like even normalized, even like people talking in such terms over um, a state of exception for a particular uh, illness or pestilence that hasn't proven to be this. Apo- and, and again, this is another criticism. I also have a mold bug, by the way, because he was, you know, in the beginning of the whole thing, he sort of had hopes that it would be like you know death carts bodies on the streets and that maybe we could shut down the borders and maybe we can have sort of like a micro like patchwork system and that maybe this would be the dismantling of the liberal world state he was kind of hopeful (laughs) to say the least when he came out with those articles but i think that this is really indicative of where we're going because now we are in a position where the people in positions of power. I mean, I'm from fucking Canada and people actually go along. It's published in the Toronto star that the most the biggest paper in Canada that, you know, people that don't take the particular sacrament, um, that they deserve to basically exist within a, like a Gombin state of exception within like to become a homo sacred, to become someone who is abandoned by the law. And so now we're like, is that any different than any sort of like, like any situation you can think of before the 20th century. I mean, that's kind of the, the state of uh, exception that exists in our society. That's like even more pervasive than anything you could ever imagine. Then certainly any like bullshit, like fucking um, like whatever some like lib historian, like Mary Bard can think of when it comes to ooh, the inquisition or the Roman empire. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just these are fantasies. We the reality we live in is ten times more terrifying, in my opinion. Well, let's uh, let's put that in the stack, shall we? So if we have that kind of uh, that kind of thing going on, let's say over here, and somewhere below that we have uh, Stalin writing, let's say 
we need to murder this many uh, musicians. We need Kulaks, to murder this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no, not even just the Kulaks. He was just writing down certain occupations that people had in a certain town, certain city, and saying, uh, like, uh, this many of them have to be uh, killed or sent to the Gulag. This many of this profession there, has there to be. There are a lot of musicians that sh and actors that should be Gulagged. I think all of Hollywood should be Gulagged in my opinion. Oh, sorry. <laughs> all right. No, no, but the, but, but the thing here is that... But the thing Put here is that... Island. Send them, yeah. to, send them someplace like North Korea. Yeah, but the thing here is that you do, <laughs> you, you do, you do have examples of people back then in the USSR that, uh, let's say, uh, one day somebody, you know, a black van drives by or was some kind of a car, and people go in, they knock on your door, and you have a certain amount of time to pack your stuff, and then you're being sent to a frigid environment where you're probably going to die uh, incredibly uh, quickly. Or there's also like a kangaroo court before that and so on and so forth. So that I see as being very bad. What we have right now is bad. But in comparison to that kind of experience that I just outlined there, where people were just like outright murdered that were written on the list, I still can't really compare the two, which is why I agree with Peter that the 20th century has been exceptionally bloody as far as what technology was able to cause just having you know that kind of system of uh you know even you could say cars were to blame too in a way if you have the ability to drive up somewhere and just take a whole bunch of people send them somewhere really quickly very efficient you know very efficient way of getting rid of people and the 20th century enabled that what i still don't get though uh peter is that when you're talking about a bottom-up approach that's something that i hope would be a kind of uh, savior to the situation we have right now when it comes to local communities working together. My concern is that I don't know if that is as likely to happen. I hope it will. I don't know if that's as likely to happen with the momentum that's going on right now with the resentment that a lot of people who, let's say, uh, read your work, uh, are fans of Geos, uh, are feeling right now. Because if they were to get into power, I don't know if they would necessarily just stick to we're going to utilize the local communities, let the local communities decide how they want to operate. What would there be in a non-liberal framework that would prevent there from being like another Stalin? I don't know. Well, I mean, formalism, knowing who's in charge, knowing who's making the decision, knowing who to point the gun at when things, when things are going bad. Um, People had the opportunity to point the gun at Stalin multiple times. That was that was not a system. That system turned out to be a little more decentralized than than a formal system. I mean, there was decentralization. It was also a gigantic country. Um, the how was it decentralized? Well, because there were, if somebody would have pointed the gun at Stalin, somebody else would have stepped in. I mean, a, a bunch of people could have stepped in. Here, I'll give you an example. When Stalin was on when his Lenin deathbed, died, when Len when Lenin died, who was who who was already plotting to take over? It wasn't just Stalin; it was a cadre of people. There. I think Trotsky would have been worse in my sure, opinion. Sure, but, but I'm specifically... I mean, well, yeah, because Trotsky was a universalist. I mean, he's... But, I, but I'm specifically talking about the effect that... Trotsky, Trotsky is one of the... Trotsky is why we have neoconservatism, and Trotsky is yes. Trotsky is basically a liberal. Trotsky wanted 
communism for the whole world. He thought everybody in the world deserves communism. Yeah. It's just as bad as a libertarian saying everyone in the world deserves liberty. <laughs> Not everybody in the world deserves liberty. Or neocons, everyone in the they world. They wouldn't know what to do with it. Oh, and by the way, by the everyone way, Peter, in the world I, deserves internet porn and there's something, uh, there's something voting. I, and, there's something know. I do want to say about that, which I have said on BTR earlier, and I actually agree with you on that statement, believe, believe it or not. But I do want to get back to the Stalin question, which is right. if we're specifically talking about Stalin, the Stalin effect, as I see it, was that when Stalin was on his deathbed, there were people outside of the room. Nobody dared go in. None of those fucking people dared going in and you know they could have just applied day of the pillow mode on stalin but they didn't i think the reason why they didn't do it is because even then on his deathbed they were scared they were so scared of stalin because the way that it operated like if they were just conditioned to know that any of them could go away at any moment and i think that there was something to that and i think that there is a quality like you could even see it today in the kind of uh modes that people adopt on twitter the kind of hashtags the kind of pronouns i think that certain things end up catching on and especially in the technological society like we saw in the 20th century even if the goal that you have in mind is to do local and i agree that's great I do see there being a need to make sure to prevent as much as possible the equivalent in a top-down manner from uh, well, from occurring. And I don't think enough... I think that because things have gotten so clown world-ish on the other side, there is just a tendency to shell oneself off from uh, assuming something like that would even happen. It seems like there's not enough time. We got to act now. We got to do something. And... Uh, I'm kind of here, like my mission is to not to slow down doing things that would be helpful, but to reconsider certain situations that may end up with all the people who are, you know, you know, touting a lot of these uh, old school virtues from being the ones that are going to be put up against the wall when the equivalent of what those virtues were would be enacted. Maybe the people standing outside of Stalin's room didn't go in there to kill him because they knew they already had the power. Mm. Mm, I don't know. I doubt that. I mean, at that point, only one person ended up being in charge, which was uh, Khrushchev. So it's not like all of them uh, ended up having some uh, shared power. I mean, I mean you're saying Stalin was the only person in this, uh, at that time who had, who had power. I would say I would say his generals had power. I would say uh, secretary of his secretaries had power. I would say that they, uh, yeah, that they had power. I, I mean, they, they, well, they, well, they not, had a certain amount of power, but at the same time, when you were in line to have a job working directly under Stalin, you knew that you were going to die, and yet people still end up going into those roles because certain people they thought like, hey, maybe I can outsmart Stalin. And at the end of the day, Khrushchev ended up outsmarting Stalin. He pretended to be the dumbass. He pretended to be the joker. And uh, Stalin uh, kind of took the bait. But uh, otherwise, you had other people who were in line who were also... And this is the other big criticism that I have of top-down rule. The people who you're going to end up being surrounded by, they're not going to be the most qualified people. In fact you're either going to have people that are going to be smart asses and think that they're going to find a way to execute you and to take power themselves, or you're going to have people around you that are just going to be kissing your ass, telling you exactly what you want to hear, and they're just going to end up being the stooges. Well, Lev, let me ask you, do you honestly believe that uh, 
that what's the why bath? would you be how scared you... of someone on their dead bed on their deathbed i don't because you know it doesn't make any i don't sense. i don't think okay but here's the thing i don't think since you uh i mean i know that you lived in romania for some time I think that this is a mentality thing that it's almost like if you were part of the culture, if you were part of the culture that came afterwards that still had a link to whatever happened before, it's different than talking about it and not really uh, not really understanding. But Lev, it. do you think that the what how does Bap call him Baidong? Do you think Baidong has actual legitimate power in the United States of America? Wait, what is Baidong? Define it for me. The fu your fucking president. Oh, Uncle ah, Joe. Yes. <laughs> Uncle Joe. Um, no, no, no. Do you think more, he has legitimate no. rule in the United States? No. Okay. So that just proves that when it comes to incompetent. Okay. Do you think that, okay, who's the second? Uh, Kamal Harris, blah, blah, blah. The fucking. Um, who's the guy? Our, fa our favorite guest, Jessica, Glo Jessica Deloche, works for. Uh, Mayor Pete. Do you think he's competent to run uh, transportation? No. Right? The well, he's in the swing with his, his uh, husband and he's t maternity. Here, here's, here's how I would describe it. Do you think that Janet Levin has the, the Levin, per, the Rachel, Rachel Levin, I'm sorry, Rachel Levin, top tier general now. Or no, health minister, health minister. Here, uh, here's you, how I would think... define it. Gio, I have a, <laughs> I have a way of defining my, everything my that you're talking about My point being, Lev, here. is that okay. you're, you're saying that dictatorship or authoritarianism is distinct in preventing competent people from rising to the top maybe within the 20th century within certain millenarian regimes yeah that's true but we live in a millenarian regime ourselves don't get don't get you wrong we live in a pervasive totalitarian liberal system but now you're being like as, but but geo now you're being like logo and you're basically saying that because things that we have right now such that we have the fucking to logo <laughs> no i'm saying that okay well I, I, I wouldn't go so far as local because China is look, also filled with incompetent people. But yeah, go ahead, Peter. Go ahead. If you want to talk about power, who has power, it's the Salzburgers have more power probably than anyone in the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th th that's who controls the power. I, politicians are just doing uh, – politicians in the United States are ba basically been doing the Salzburgers bidding for over 100 years now. That's right. Sure. So if we're so if we're talking about that kind of monetary power, I'll use the following analogy, which I also wanted to use with the statement that Geo just made right now, which is let's say you have a house and that house has a lot of uh, termites in it, it has a lot of you know muck everywhere, you know grime, slime, whatever, and you knew you know that you got to clean this house up and you're going to do everything possible to do so. I would describe though that the foundation of the house is kind of like those you know very uh nasty you know horrible liberal principles that we pretend to agree upon and i think the whole pretending to agree upon thing is an important part of this too because you're right like there isn't anything that necessarily you know and i think while i'm saying this by the way i do think that faith in god and having the idea that there is something higher than, than ourselves is absolutely fundamental to this whole entire thing so i'm not taking any part of that away what what i am saying though is that the response to having this infestation of bugs within the house i see right now as being this very quick this very dopamine fueled reaction of wanting to tear the entire house down and uh thinking that whatever would exist in place of that particular house you know would be would be a lot better off but 
to the point that Peter was talking about earlier when it comes to not everybody is, let's say, uh, ready to have the kind of responsibility that comes with a high-trust society. This is why I do think that certain places in the world, maybe it does make sense for certain places to have a strong, you know, iron-fisted dictator if those are the kind of places where men are going to go around and have their way with women who are not covered up you know, to their, uh, you know, to, to their eyes. Ah, uh, based. <laughs> but no, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Like, like there are, you... there are places out there that wouldn't know what to do with freedom if you gave it to them within a certain amount of generations. Well, would you say the Russian not, people not to are say... like that, Lev, though? No. I would say yeah, that the Russian people were But some people, people would all... say, they would say that they've had so, uh, such a long history of kings and authoritarian rule that they're, like, there's people that love Stalin still in Russia. But this is why you I would know, go like back to the, but this is why I would go back to the example of the Japanese. And you're absolutely right. If we're talking about, like, this warrior mindset, the samurai mindset that Mishima was bemoaning was not there, I don't have the solution to that for you. The only thing that I can say is that as far as the value of uh, human life today I think that it's very irresponsible to talk about the old days and talk about how noble it is to throw away one's life while living in a nice environment and to say that the value that people are putting on life today is somehow a negative. I think that there is still a process that we're working through right now. I don't know what it's going to look like at the end of the day. But when people do have a certain agreement upon uh, shared shared again i'm not going to say shared culture because again like food dress all that stuff is different i would say a shared appreciation of the value of one's life and the value of one's dignity which is not something that i am seeing from the radical left here in the united states but i am also seeing a tendency within uh, more fringe uh, parts of uh, the internet to completely disregard that for the people that they don't like and that's not good either Have you been in the United States for the last, like, 20 months? It's not good. That makes it all the more harder to talk about the things that I'm talking about. I understand. Yeah. I mean, if you're playing devil's advocate and everything, I mean, I get it and everything, but I have a hard time believing that you actually, like, believe all this. Hard I time mean, believing what specifically? Like, that, that the foundation needs to stay. I mean, well, which I, parts of the I, foundation I are we talking with, about here? I I agree with like um, Chesterton. You know, you don't tear down a fence. You don't tear down a fence until, until you find out why it was built. Yes. Okay. But the foundation of liberalism enabled the last twenty months. Enabled the COVID regime. Regime. It enabled what's happening in Australia right now. I mean. Yeah. Liberalism just leads to totalitarianism. And I can give you proof. All you have to do is look around. All right. Well, let's say that. Then... Okay, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold, for you. hold on. Before the book recommendation, uh, one question. This is Giorgio uh... Gombin's latest. Okay. Here Where we go. are they now? He explains why the liberal regime has descended into biosecurity, total madness, state of exception right here and he was crucified they loved him the lefties loved him during the bush administration when he was going after them for a uh, gitmo and all that now they hate him he's terrible he's the devil so uh zero books absolutely hates him now <laughs> oh, they published another, him another good book is uh the demon and democracy by oh uh, yes lazaro is it i think it's Lugutko. let me uh, yeah those polish names kill me um 
I don't know. I'm having a tough time understanding the connection here, though, as strange as it may be. And I'm well, not Levitz, playing. I'm not playing a role. Le good go. Yeah. 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 Well, basically, not, yeah. basically, what he what he proves in the first ten pages of the book is that liberalism and an open society just leads to totalitarianism. It leads to yeah. what we have now and what is growing. I mean, honestly, think about this. When has anything gotten better? Medicine? When has anything gotten better? Oh, no, I'm talking about when, but you're talking about technology. We're talking about culture and we're talking about people. We're talking about people's minds. I mean, if you read Kaczynski, you understand that Kaczynski, when he talks, when he's saying that it was the Industrial Revolution was a disaster for mankind, he's talking about it destroyed our minds. Yeah. And that, and that we're, so when, how is liberalism, how do we allow liberalism to stay? To, why do we... I just don't know what the minds were like of the people that uh, you are referencing to and that Ted Kaczynski was referencing to. That's the big problem here, because we're well, talking was, about a lot of before what Before I was cut off and I was talking about Romania, um, I lived in Romania with some of the poorest people I've ever met in my life. Literally, the change I had in my pocket was more than they had. And they were happier and more content than most of the people I know in the United States. There's a similar thing, I guess you could say, from the 1800s where, uh, Gio, like I asked you what this was called when people who were very wealthy were offing themselves because they were just in misery. You know, they had nothing to do with their Unreal. lives. Unreal. Yeah, on the way. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are creature comforts out there that cause people to go nuts as well as, uh, you know, technology. It but... doesn't cause people to go nuts. Their existence they're, the fact that people are using them, the fact that people don't have to struggle and have, and I'm not talking about Protestant work ethic, that's total bullshit. I'm talking about like having to go get your own food and things like yeah. that, I, you know, to keep themselves busy. You know, they have to invent, you know, and Kaczynski talked about, you know, how Emperor Hirohito, his life was so empty that, and he had nothing to do. He became an expert on marine biology. He, I mean, so he had like all these surrogate activities and um, yeah, I mean, it has more to do with the fact that there's no purpose. Humanity has lost a sense of purpose. I agree. And that is a, that is well, a big problem. The surf, the surf waking up and having to... Um, go and till the fields to eat it gave them some kind of purpose well, we don't have Kaczynski, a purpose now because no, all we have to I, do is drive down the road and yeah. get whatever we need no i agree that this is a this is a big problem uh you're not going to get any disagreements out of that for me my only problem though is that when it comes to solving said problem i think that the gun has jumped pretty quickly into and I know you're not the one who's saying this because you are for uh, more of a local approach, which I would agree would be a better one. But I think that you and other people, I don't think you give enough of, uh, let's say, a warning to what may happen if it's not going to be. And I know I'm kind of a, repeating myself what I said before, but I really don't think that there is enough 
of a uh, warning given to what would happen if it would not be local, if it would be top-down. And as far as regimes go, if you think, for example, again, Imperial Russia, not a liberal system by any means, it got replaced by a totalitarian system. I can name other, you know, non-liberal systems that were replaced by totalitarian systems. So this idea that liberalism leads to, a lot of things lead to totalitarianism, that doesn't mean that the way out of it is to implement more totalitarianism, which seems to be what would well, happen no, that, if no, the no, local approach are... would not work. No, but what else is there? I mean, tell well, me. These like... are very, these are very like th that book, The Demon Democracy, you know, even Tekizinski, they point to very ancient critiques of the concept of democracy themselves as leading to, a, because they distinguish between tyranny and what is an aristocratic or an oligarchical regime. I think that's, that distinction has been lost on us nowadays. But, but getting to Ted Kaczynski, I mean, he distinctly points out that the sort of myth that technology is neutral, it is not. It carries with it a certain, well, I mean, him and Mumford, they say that it carries with it certain discourses mm. that ultimately change the cultural and even the psychological structure of mankind. I mean, even yeah. Socrates himself said, like the written word and the discourse within um, language being codified that destroyed a much older capacity for an oral tradition and memory. Like this is what he's saying. Of course, he's very radical in his implications. And like I know, I'm just fucking on Twitter the other day arguing against uh, nuclear cells. Uh, people that believe. Nuclear power will bring us uh, utopia, but um, I know I, I don't think... think it's necessarily a bad thing. The nuclear power depends on where you put it. Well, Lev, I mean, Hold on. no, no, we're not going to get it. Is, is saying that people think that nuclear power is going to take them to utopia, straw man? I mean, has people actually said utopia? Well, no, I mean, they say that that nuclear power is based in red pilled and that it's good, but I think the problem is that when you give from my mind, it would just accelerate a lot of the problems we have as opposed, it's more of the, I mean, of course the dangers, I'm, I don't 100% trust nuclear power because it's like, I have a spiritual argument why, because it's trying to replicate the uncreated light, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. But I, no, but I was schizo posting a little bit. Before, but, uh, be, but before we get too like, much, yeah. But it, no, but it, it's pertaining to, it would only, to my mind, if we had a free and cheap source of energy, it would basically just accelerate a lot of the sort of decay that we're experiencing within more yeah. harder to enunciate aspects, not just the material aspects of how people live. Because people, even like libertarians back in the day, and I actually wanted to talk to you, Peter, specifically with libertarianism as like in America, but you even have them saying back in the day, like, well, you know, if we have the 3D printers and the fucking nuclear power, and then maybe we can have, I don't know, in Somalia, they can have like uh, mm. bug cities and they could uh, eat like, I don't know. It's like no, but before uh, before we get to the, the nuclear, whole world the can be transformed under this apparatus. Like but before we get to that particular apparatus, when it does come to understanding the kind of technology we're surrounded by on a daily basis, I completely agree with Geo and Peter that these are bad things. You know, it's wrong to have uh, this idea that just because I disagree with you on certain parts of the implementations that you want that you. I'm not saying you want to do them, but that I think may occur, that I disagree on the inherent problem that we're facing today as a, as a species. But when it does come to the implementations again, if we, let's say, okay, fine, we're throwing liberalism out the window and uh, we want to try to go for the local approach, let's say the local approach doesn't work and I'm right as far as it ends up being a lot, a lot easier for people to just accept a top-down rule, 
My question is, uh, assuming the local approach doesn't work, what exact system are we talking about here that would be implemented, not in the 16th century, but specifically in the kind of environment that we're living in today, that let's say would be more preferable to the system of uh, liberalism that we're under? Why? Who says that the top-down approach that would replace it would be any worse or better? I mean, I mean, who would say it would be the same or or worse? I mean, I just I just wanted to be defined a little bit more though, because we're if we're talking about these what ifs, then I want to specifically know what would the difference be in how things would be, how laws are carried out, what kind of laws would be the main ones in this kind of system. Again, assuming we're not talking about local systems, assuming we're just talking about the local systems not working and this being the other, well, the other way the out problem, of the Lev, current if system. If we were to implement another system, the way America is structured now, the cultural, racial, and economic makeup of America now, that would be fucking disastrous. That would never work. It yeah. would take generations. It, it it has to be voluntary. It has to be yeah. people coming together voluntarily who share ideals and share culture. Um, and, you know, I've always, you know, I'm one of those people who is looking for like natural elites, what Hoppe calls natural elites. I mean, I would much rather trust like my neighbor who owns a business and has been successful their whole life to lead or do anything or make decisions if i was going to give up all my decision making i'd rather have someone like that than somebody who was elected by pop a popularity vote i, I think anybody sure. any anybody would want that I, sure I that, think... that's that's the hope but i'm just but i'm talking specifically about what may potentially happen here because if we let's say reject the uh, bedrock of the system, which is, I think, being implemented really badly today. I'm not saying it's implemented well, but if we were to reject that, then what are the possibilities here as far as what well, the there's a possibility that, I mean, you could every, the person who takes charge can kill everyone and just be alone or they can enslave everyone and keep them as their slave George's or they can stones. give people, yeah. yeah, or they could give people their freedom back. And say here, you know, as you know, as long as you're not, as long as you're not hurting anyone else, kind of thing. Sure, but then the question is, do you personally uh, want to roll those dice? Yeah, yeah. All considering right, see, considering yeah, things don't get, considering things aren't getting better and they're getting worse, I'd rather roll the dice. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess then that is uh, the big difference between the two of us, where I don't think that that kind of implementation is going to result in uh, whoever is on the top uh, declaring uh, freedom for everybody. I think it would be the exact opposite. And as much as people bemoan the checks and balances, I know that there was an argument before. I think that was the Logo and Amy uh, conversation where Amy was bringing up these uh, harsh laws that are being implemented when it comes to the uh, age of the fetus, uh, you know, that uh, can be aborted. In Texas. Yeah, yeah, in Texas. No, 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 no. She was harsh as far as she was uh, against abortion. So she was talking about uh, how certain states abort very early on and how she was against that. And it's great that you brought up Texas because what I should have said back then, which I, I don't think Texas was uh, in the news at the time, but what I could have said back then was that you could go to Texas or I could say you could go to DeSantis, Florida. 
you there are still places that are pushing back against certain things that are being implemented right now since but these are a... these are states these are not provinces we're not living in canada yeah, but that, so no, but that's... that has other problems as well because like it's the same problem with this national divorce thing that i, I mean there was this debate between ramsey paul and scott greer and i've like Scott Greer, I think he convinced me because to say that we need, eventually I think there will probably be some form of balkanization. It's already happening. But the problem with that is the people that we're dealing with, they're not, they're not going to like accept well, that the, anyway. Well, the, the nukes, that's not Are you going to go to like problem. the Vouches of the world and be like, okay, as long as all the evil, terrible, racist, red state people stay there, are you going to be comfortable with that? Right? Would we, would we be comfortable with them? Like it's... That's the big problem. And also the fact that American resources are basically distributed and based along this like like left liberal dependency theory where all of the resources more or less are on the coastal cities. I mean, that's a powder keg. Like, like I remember there was this great thread on Twitter the other day, even globally. Um, I know the name is like, you know, his, his name is Breast Milk Enjoyer. Uh, but he had this thread that blew up about how the dependency theory when it comes to like for example food subsidies to the third world and how imagine if like we actually hit another significant economic downturn which may be possible with the uh you know the the global um the, the what would you call it? the pestilence right um imagine like uh all of a sudden huge parts of the african continent are like warring and starving and cannibalism and n now their their solution will be well let's bring them all here again right like we did with syria so it's like like that that's there has to be a significant amount of the population to say no to say no we're not going to bring those people here because this system was not designed by us it was designed by our elites that they knew that we're going to fail like it's in it's insanity right like it's uh, but then there's significant pe amount of people in the population there's fucking like that guy matt christman he was in this documentary on uh about the it was like some hit piece netflix documentary in the alt-right where he said there's people that would choose genocide by closing the borders when things get really bad so we have to bring them all here we have to give them global prosperity it's like fuck you know like and, uh, How is and, that our responsibility? Well, I hate as cruel as that sounds, but it's... And, like, and Peter, I hope that you see the difference between what Matt Kreisman said and what I'm saying. Right? Like, yeah, that, I, that, I that guess. There is... Yeah, obviously. No, no, what do you mean, I guess? See, that's that's what I don't understand about I you. I think you're closer to Kushbaum than you like to believe, Lev. I, I don't, don't know. know who... Well, I don't know who Kushbaum is, first of all. That's his nickname, Matt Kreisman okay. of Chapo Trapos. No, but again, like I said from the very beginning, mm -hmm. there are cultures out there that are absolutely incompatible with ours. Now, that doesn't mean that maybe in some generations, if those cultures are, let's say, worked on, then people can be, let's say, more... I don't know... It's difficult for me to define other than just saying civilized, whatever. The point is, is that if those cultures are not at that state right now, there is no reason for them to be somewhere where there's incompatible culture. I think we could all agree on that part of it. So when I'm saying that, how am I like Matt Kreisman? No, no, I'm, I'm just pointing out that the sort of the, the, the sort of impossibility of envisioning these things right in our current system when the way that even just resources are distributed are so fundamentally flawed in such a deep level that it's like, if we were to change even one aspect of it, it would be a catastrophe. But anyway, sorry, I've been rambling too. What do you make of what I'm saying, Peter? Um, well, I mean, 
the problem I have is with uh, it goes back to the the whole thing about morality versus engineering, believing that you you can have to have the belief that there aren't people out there that can actually lead or um, or even rule without being you know dictators is this. It's the same thing as communists talking about how capitalism is immoral. It's the fact is that this the system, democracy and liberalism doesn't entice the kind of good person to step forward and jump into a system where they know they can't make a, a you know make a dent. I was I was on Tim Pool's show with a guy who's running for Senate out of Pennsylvania. And I told them clearly, I said, look, if you want to, if you really want to make a difference, I mean, the GOP, the national GOP is just controlled opposition for, for the regime. So why do you, why don't you just run for governor of Pennsylvania on not going to force mask your kid, not going to, not going to force vaccinate you. You can have any gun you want, et cetera, et cetera. Just right-wing populist talking points. And I said, even better run for mayor of your hometown. Yeah, I mean, these are people, there are people out there who want to do good, but they, you can't when the system is designed as such. The system just needs to be, the system needs to be destroyed in, in the way it is right now. And we need to go back to, I mean, I, I, I hate to even make it sound this way, but we need to go back to like tribal elders or something like that. I mean, I, mm. I would trust, I, I would trust, um, older people who've actually done things and, you know, haven't been sucking off the government teat for 60 years more. I, I don't trust them, but I trust somebody who's made it in there, made it in the real world. I mean, I would take, I would follow that person before I would follow, you know, a Joe Biden or a John Boehner or Nancy Pelosi. I mean, these people, these are lizard people. No, I mean, it's I, I could honestly. give you I could give you an example of that, by the way. Um, and this is, you know, we're not going to get into this particular thing because it's going to be way much too much of a tangent. But I just want to say one quick thing about Israel's uh, armed forces. Oh, is God, that love. no, no, stop. Geo, yeah. no, stop. I, will, I will not stop. Here we go. What I want to say is that in Israel's armed forces, it's the. Uh... All right. That's my handler calling, uh, saying, good job. Love. Okay. <laughs> That's his facade uh... handler. <laughs> exactly. No. As in soon the, as uh... you mention the I word, he calls. <laughs> no, in the Israeli armed forces, it's the uh, top officials. It's like the uh, generals, the uh, commanders. They're the ones who go first into any armed conflict. And you could say that, oh, this is bad strategy because why are you going to kill off the people who, let's say, may be the more, you know, uh, intellectually minded of how to do tactics and strategy, stuff like that, because there is a morale component there. When you are going to put your life on the line first, I am the one, like, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, uh, you go there, it's you follow me. I'm going to be the one that's going to be taking you. I'm going to be the one that's going to be risking the most. And I think that that should be a principle that should be emulated. And like, uh, throughout this conversation, Peter, like I find that the outcomes that you want to see, I want to see those outcomes too. And I'm not playing a character. I'm not being devil's advocate. I am generally concerned that this very real in a uh, 21st century technological environment, this very real threat 
of having the kind of system that would be able to very efficiently do the most horrible, incomprehensible things that probably China may be already doing right now behind the scenes. To have that be implemented is something that I am so concerned about that I am being extremely careful when it comes to how a lot of these ideas that you're talking about are implemented. Are you worried that Switzerland is going to rise up and try and take over the world? No, nope. I wish they did. Actually, that would be amazing. Wh but I know why, aren't you, why, are, why aren't you worried about that with Switzerland? Well, Switzerland, from what I understand, it's not a uh, top-down dictatorship, right? Well, it's, a canton, it's a Canton system. Yeah. What's yeah. a Canton so, system? So, um, they, it, I guess it would be the same thing as provinces in Canada or counties here. Um, they have a system. I, I want to say it's 18 or 23. I can't remember the number right now. And they have different tax rates and everything like that. I mean, specifically, the reason you don't worry about Switzerland rising up and killing people and going genocidal is because it's a small little place. And when yeah. you're when you're concentrating on localities and concentrating on local, I mean, what what power does a a town of or a group of 150 people have to, I mean, do that? And why would they if they're relying on each other so much? Why would they do that? Why would they slaughter? Each well, other? that's a, see, that's a very they, interesting, especially yeah. if they believe that, especially if they believe the same if they're culturally the same. Well, well, actually, Switzerland, they're not culturally the same, but they've oh, managed, they, they, the reason they've managed to maintain a Canto system that is somewhat multicultural, well, I mean, I think there is an argument, like, I'm not like a quote-unquote white nationalist, but like, I think there is an argument to me that European civilizations have some kind of like commonality, but the reason they've managed to maintain is because the uh basically you have the italian the french the germanic parts they exist almost like on totally different mountain ranges in like these towns and that's the way they've maintained it whereas in canada here um multiculturalism is on its way to failure because basically all of the immigrants go into these three or four major cities like toronto montreal vancouver that's it and like basically everywhere else outside of the big cities are more or less homogenous, almost original stock British. You're, you know? you're, you're making my argument for me. It's yeah, exactly. It, it's when you're, when things are smaller, things are better. I mean, it's just, it, when it comes to, I mean, would you rather be calling the shots for your family or would you, you know, I mean, no one wants to go into somebody else's family and tell them how they have to run their lives and everything. I mean, that, is, that would be... Although that has happened awful. under communism. Under communism, for example, this is a story that the chat's used to by now as well, but uh, my mom got in trouble for reading the wrong books. You know, she was uh, copying, like, the forbidden, uh, the forbidden texts of uh, authors who were Russian but not living in Russia at the time. So she got in trouble because her friend... Uh, her her friend's parents told on the KGB on both my mom and their very own daughter. So that is an example of how a regime like that could just really warp your brain to the fa uh, you know to the extent that you're ratting on your own family. And it's actually interesting. Like with uh, I don't mean to go on too much of a tangent here, but in relation to Confucianism, originally in Confucianism, loyalty is towards the father above all else, meaning that you would go and protect your father even if your father betrayed the government. 
And that is very interesting to consider with China, you know, thinking of itself as, uh, you know, being this very uh, uh, Confucianist state. But anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. What I'm really getting to here, though, is that if we are talking about the implementation of small states, it's almost like one of those things that, all right, every single place in the world, uh, let's all become small states at once. Everybody. Because if you're not going to do that, what's going to prevent the bigger fish from eating the small fish? Why hasn't why hasn't Europe completely consumed Switzerland? Because they are of the kind of uh, civilization once again that has worked out those uh, unfortunately horrible uh, situations uh, in the twentieth century. So they have fortunately gotten past that. It doesn't mean that in the future that may not come about again. I would not say the same thing though for uh, China and Russia. Okay. Well, I mean, I would say that the reason Switzerland hasn't been hasn't been invaded and, and consumed is because they tr they're friendly with everyone, they trade with everyone, and they're not a threat to anyone. The whole thing Absolutely. about you know the whole thing about everybody having a gun and everything like that's just horseshit. That's just pro. And I'm as pro gun as the next person. I think we should yeah. have machine guns being sold mm -hmm. at the corner store. But that whole thing about oh, there's a gun. That's bullshit. Yeah. They no, you have, you have with, to get a permit they, and all that. Yeah. Yeah, they trade with everyone, and um, they well, they, they're they do with everyone. Yes, they do, but not a, not everybody is friendly, which is the point that I'm getting to here. That if a lot of the friendly places were to localize... You're making an argument for a one-world government now. That's basically what you're doing. You're making an argument for a one-world government. No, that's... Uh, okay, that's interesting. So I'm making an argument for a one-world government by saying that there are going to be bigger states that may take over other states. I would say that my argument would be to bolster the defenses of the states that have, uh, you know, mutual uh, compatibility, but still maintain sovereignty just in case one of them decides to take the position of being a world government type state. Okay, then why can't that be done in the United States on the uh, with having a um, having a system of, of like 10,000 Liechtensteins? That is, a, that is an interesting question, because if you have a 10,000 Liechtenstein system, when it comes to certain mutual defense agreements that we would have with other parts of the world, let's say, what would prevent the bigger fish from trying to eat the we smaller would, fish? It would be incumbent upon anyone in a 10,000 Liechtenstein system to, be, to, make, um, to have the, the, those treaties with people, um, with people locally, local to them than um, before. Than, anyone on the other side of the world i mean that well, just yeah. makes that just makes sense but that just that goes back to what the juvenile was saying because the sort of codification of a standing army that's a relatively modern invention compared to even even like the roman empire had centurions in different provinces it was i mean even like the american founders wasn't that kind of like their ideal that the America wouldn't have a standing army, but the colonies would get together if there was ever an external threat and they would raid. like, you know what I mean? Like kind of like the crusader mm. states, the, the, the crus the knights, they were. And the globalists who yeah. wrote the constitution had to get rid of that. Yeah. Well, exactly. So, um, so that's then, so, like so the crusader of, states yeah. were like that, where they would raise a pilgrimage, a mission to defend their pilgrimage to the Holy land. It wasn't, they didn't necessarily, like these kingdoms for thousands of years didn't have professional armies the way that we think of them. 
I mean, there were certain instances like in, in Florence and so forth, we had the Ghibellines and it didn't work out because mercenaries got involved. But the, the idea that like, I mean, nowadays it's kind of complicated because of China, right? Like, I don't think China is any position probably to invade the mainland, but certainly if America's stronghold were to lower throughout the world. Well, I would, I would put Russia into that equation as well. I know that uh, Scott Horton disagrees uh, specifically when it comes to Ukraine. The example that he was bringing up on Dave Smith's show, by the way, when he was talking about the uh, ethnic Russians living in Ukraine wanting to be a part of Russia and Russia saying, no, we don't want you, you know. The, the thing behind that, I think the devil is in the details. Because are, are you familiar, by the way, with the example that I'm talking about, Peter? Yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do a podcast with uh Yes, exactly. With Scott. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but by the way, that was a great debate. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it uh, in person uh, what what happened recently, uh, but uh, uh -huh. but but anyway, when he's talking about that particular example of the ethnic Russians within uh, the Ukraine, the problem there is that well not the problem. The uh, situation there is that Russia gave certain parts of itself to Ukraine during the times of the USSR and what it ended up achieving by doing that, you know, even though you could say, well, Ukraine was part of the USSR anyway, what it ended up achieving that by officially giving those parts up is it implement is it implanted, you could say, a kind of cancer within Ukraine, where number one, they would always have a voting bloc that would be in favor of Russian interests within Ukraine. And number two, in general, there would be just like a lot more of a pushback for uh, pro-Russia support within that region. So specifically, I'm talking about areas like Donbass, for example. So those areas, if Russia were to take them on, it would be like uh, it would be taking on people who now they'd have to be responsible for taking care of. More money has to go to those people to pay for, uh, you know, the um, retirement, all that, all that, uh, all that fun stuff. So it's not in Russia's strategic interest to specifically take those parts of Ukraine right now because they already have the people who they rely upon for getting their way in terms of uh, politics within Ukraine through those, uh, I guess you could call them proxy states. So in a way, they're already a part of Russia, but they just don't have to pay money to them. So that's very beneficial. So I think that unless I got uh, Scott's... Um, analogy here wrong because i think he was kind of using that as an example of well russia doesn't even want ukraine like i think that's kind of the more of the devil in the details part of it but they also they share culture no here's why not russia was my taken over my grandmother's from my grandmother's from kiev my great-grandmother's yes. from kiev my great-grandmother's <laughs> from around that region too the reason why they don't share a culture is again because russia was uh run as a uh, surf state first under the mongols and then under the european leaders and swedish leaders uh, for swedish norwegian nordic leaders basically who were uh you know the uh, czars and all that and then the romanovs and all that fun stuff but ukraine was not the people of Ukraine were always a free people. And this is why, for example, you had people... That's like a myth, Lev. That is an anti-Russian myth. Yeah, it really is. Why yeah. is it a myth? It's an anti-Russian I mean, myth. My family would go back and forth. Uh, we're back and forth from Kiev to Moscow all the time. Which centuries are we talking about here? We're talking about in the early 20th century, in the late 19th no, century, early I'm not 20th century. I'm not talking about that time, though. I'm talking about the time when there was... Uh, 
the uh, serfdom and before that when the Mongols were in charge. What I'm saying is that that did something to the people who were living in those particular regions. Lev, which that is was why, a British intelligence op against uh, the Russian people. Which is why you have something. Which is why you have something like Russia. the. Uh, which is why you have something like the Holodomor, where you had a bunch of independent farmers in the Ukraine who were self-sufficient, and Russia didn't like that very much. They blocked out any entrances and they starved the entire place during Stalin's reign. So, again, you have an example here of independent people who got squashed, which is why I'm for independence. I guess some of the people in the chat may assume because of my ancestry that I would be denying the whole and more, which I'm absolutely not. I think the whole and more was absolutely real and it was an incredibly horrible thing. But the reason why I'm saying this is that there because are Western parts of, Ukraine... of, of like tribe, like largely of your tribe intellectuals, they say that the whole of more was. Uh weather patterns or some shit like that like that no that's know. that's the thing that people assume but anyway uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, what but yeah. anyway when we're talking about the differences in the cultures because again peter like you always talked about culture is a very important integrative thing i would go on to say that during the soviet union yes there was more of a mixing of cultures among ukraine and russia specifically though if we're talking about the parts of the ukraine around the uh, region of poland which was formerly poland by the way although i don't know if we should open that can of worms right now but anyway around that region those are the people who i think are more in favor of self-sufficiency and have a more of a uh, freedom uh, mindset and those are not the people that want anything to do with russia at all so i would be in favor of having those people retain that same level of freedom and not uh, succumb to being ruled by absolute baboons which is why again by baboons i mean like the russian leadership right now which is again if we were to play out the scenario of saying, okay, the U.S. is going to get rid of all its bases and we're just going to take care of the much the needed, homeland. I agree. Yeah, the homeland, much needed problems here. How's all these other things, how are all these other things going to play out when it comes to international relations, for lack of a better word, with a country like Russia, which always said, you know, Putin always says that uh, Russians and Ukrainians are the same people. You know, we are one. And uh, what's going to prevent uh, them from taking over Ukraine when uh, America's not going to have anything to do about that? How does this have anything to do with covenant communities on the landmass of, of North America? It has everything to do with those communities. Because if we're talking about implementing a localized system, then at least from what I understand, that would mean getting rid of any of the international bases that America has. Unless that unless I'm mistaken, sure. unless that's the no, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Obviously, yeah. So it has everything one hundred percent to do with the localized communities, and I have to keep that part of it in mind too. I can't Lev, pretend Lev, that that's, that's this not is neocon exist. thinking, Lev, because you're yeah, saying I, that seriously, I mean okay, like Mr. we Crystal. need to go invade other people in order to have freedom at home. <laughs> like, we we need to have bases <laughs> over here because uh, the 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 government that I obviously have a bias against because of my family and my upbringing, because we need to. Sorry, man. Yeah. Come on, come on, man. I, maybe, like, listen. I don't think come you're on. saying that exactly, Lev. But how is this connecting? Like having foreign bases to, like, like you're saying that you're you're not endorsing it. You're just saying as a thought experiment. If those foreign bases go, then we can focus on having more localized communities in America. Is that what you're saying? 
What I'm saying is that my wish is for us to be able to have both, have both a focus on the local communities while at the same time preventing certain things to break out in the world that we but don't want to break why though? Why? But, but hold cares? on, hold on. See, that's the thing. Who, who cares what happens to Ukraine? Let them handle their own business. I understand. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, Absolutely. No, 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 no. I, I get that. Going, I, I do I am not going to, and I don't want any mo of the money that I have going to to fucking slay dragons around the world. Okay, that shit's number, been going on. on. That well, started all this. I mean, the reason there's okay. a war on terror is because the United States w went over there yeah. and started fucking with them, and yeah. and and literally, it was an American expedition that found oil in Saudi Arabia. Then they, ever since that happened, they've been intertwined with Saudi Arabia, and then a bunch of people who realize that oh. Yeah, but, well, I mean, two of the most holy places on the planet for Muslims is on the friggin' peninsula. And now the United States is occupying that peninsula. What the fuck? How do you even think if, we got the war on terror? Even the 50s of Mosaddegh in Iran, like then then the Shah and then. Oh, but I'm sure. But they, the but the women were wearing a uh, boutique dresses so that, you know, you know like the, oh, the that, 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 was, that was all <laughs> such uh, that was yeah, all that was such bullshit. American propaganda. Yeah, it's a it's oh, very God. it's very interesting, though, because I think there's I think a bit of a hold on. Geo, the Iranian there, revolution that was, a lot, that was, was a lot. the most conservative was the one of the only successful conservative revolutions. And I will die by that. Even Michel Foucault, when he was a journalist, went there and praised the Shah for well, for other reasons besides, you know, but uh Lev, I think the problem is that when, when you're talking about you're trying to apply a universalist moral order upon these geopolitical situations, but let's face it, like the brutal reality, and I'm very sorry if I'm going to offend people for saying this, but imagine... I, I, don't, I don't think you're going to offend anybody in the chat, by the way. I oh, think I know, I know. <laughs> imagine if your son, well, I guess daughter, son or daughter died in both of the wars the longest wars in american history for what for the the talichads to just roll in and things are exactly the way afghanistan was in 2001 almost but now of course they have more armaments because we fucking let them you know but that's I think the that thing the, uh, well hold on hold on guys i think that my the point being is if you if you had a family member that died in those wars yeah wouldn't you say to yourself holy fuck my my son or daughter or cousin or friend died for nothing for, and because we were there for 20 years for why for fuck all for it's 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 a, it's a, it's a terrible say. it's a terrible thing but i noticed but something my very being is that hold, hold, if Gio, they would have exited okay. in 2001 after they destroyed the majority of the taliban fighters how different would that world i said this with huntsman how different would the world look like if they pulled out if they initially wanted to do a call and power there, there's a very there's a very interesting thing happening i think that there is a bit i don't know if it's intentional or not i think there's a little bit of a uh, how do you call it, a flip of the hand or i think that slide of there hand. is slide, slide of hand. hand thank you i think there's a slide of hand going on here because what you guys have introduced right now the con the subject of the horrible war in iraq I think it's used to defend something, uh, rather to, let's say, condemn something that you are capable of condemning, which is very easy to condemn, which you should rightfully condemn. I think that this obfuscates what I said. Never once in this entire conversation have I justified with the words invading something. 
going somewhere to, you know, cause trouble in a certain region to, let's say, depose somebody. I never said any of those things. I specifically talked about mutual defense agreements. I'm specifically talking oh, about if one place goes into another place in order to take it over, what are the responsibilities of Europe, of the United States? Now, you can disagree with me all you want about that. We have that love, but and it resulted but, in World War I. But don't, but don't bring up Iraq as a defense mechanism to not address that particular point. And you're free to disagree with me all you want about that particular point, but let's stick with that particular point. Well, you should well, you should have led with that instead of like what it sounded like. That, no, our... it didn't sound like that. That's exactly what I was talking about. I was specifically talking if, about if U.S. bases. To, yeah, that's yes. different than saying we but should go invade but that's, Russia that's what we for had, Ukrainians. That, that's what we had under the. That's what we had under no, the but Articles that's exactly, of Confederation. But that's exactly what I said. See, this is what I really don't understand about this whole thing. What I start up saying is that what do we do if we are in the kind of situation where we decide to get rid of any bases wherein a country like Russia would be able to go in and invade Ukraine. Specifically, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about mutual defense agreements. I am not talking about invading a country. So if we had an agreement with Ukraine, which we kind of do, what would happen to that? Like with the... Yes. Yeah, that's... I don't know. Because as much as they hate Russia, I mean, would they ever act upon that? The, the American security state. I mean, I think I tend, I'm of the belief that the people running America now are totally insane and they probably would because they're literally nihilistic. Um, they're, they're, they're really just Luciferians at the heart, in my opinion. I think they're insane enough to do something like that. Mm. But Peter, what would you think? I'm, I'm just rambling. Yeah. Oh, and, and also, by the way, I think that Bill Crystal is just some kind of a... He's a uh, Luciferian in my No, no, hold on. He's a fucking Hold on. I think Bill Clist Crystal is kind of a spoiled uh, spoiled rich kid. Spoiled rich who was, kid. <laughs> who was, you know, yeah. he was, uh, he, you know, daddy's little boy who got everything he wanted. Same with David which is why, here in Canada. Yeah, which his, is why his mommy was a journalist. And yeah. Which is exactly why he's not good at talking about a lot of these things, and I think I am way better. But anyway, okay. that's no, just, I, okay. no, I, I get that, I get that. I mean, uh, I mean, I came from nothing. I grew up in the Bronx in in New York, and not there are nice parts of the Bronx. I didn't grow yeah. up in the nice part. Um, well, I think that the first mutual defense agreements you have to have are with people around you. Um, when you look, have you ever looked at a map of the United States and where like all the red counties, where the blue counties are? It's like, I mean, the United States is like almost 100% red. Okay, so if you start, if you get that 10,000 Liechtensteins, 9,700, 9,800 are going to be at least share that redness, that, and let's call it, okay, the spirit of 1776, whatever. All right. You're going to have a mutual, you will, those people, um, and especially the ones closest to you are going to have a kind of affinity to be like, okay, so if we get invaded by the blue section of, you know, I mean, these religious, I have an episode coming out tonight talking about just how the progressive movement, how religious it was and how all of these leftist yeah. do-gooders are just, it's just a religion to them and it's righteousness and they're trying to bring righteousness to the world. And, um, you know, they're war it's like any fucking, it's like a crusade for them. Mm. And the, the idea that we wouldn't come together and be like, okay, sure, we're not going to leave bases anywhere around the world. No one's going to pay for it. No, n at all. Um, but 
that doesn't mean that we're going to stop trading with them. I mean, it, it's going to be more incumbent upon us now to trade. The only example we really have of like trade gone wrong, and it really hasn't gone wrong, is what's happening with China now. Um, China has not, I mean, they still have, they're about ready to go back into another cultural revolution, actually. They don't, they're not going to even care about the world anymore. Holy um, shit. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, there's like feminine men can't appear on TV now. They're like pulling people. It's like, they're going Based. like hardcore mm -hmm. and they're, they're not going to, and I've read some of these manifestos and everything that these people are putting out and it's insane. I mean, they're talking about like, literally, they're not going to care about us. They're going to be, I feel bad for the people of China because it's going to be concentrated in on them. Um, how are they going to make how are they going to make money, though? Because isn't a lot of money that China makes relying upon exporting cheap crap everywhere in the world? Yeah, well, I mean, well, if you I, I really think a lot of I think a lot if you believe well, that's all the, the China propaganda, they don't, I don't care about killing. I don't believe I don't, I don't, I don't oh, either because okay. I have friends. I have friends who live there. Yeah, I have friends who live in China and they're like, I have a friend who lives in China. He's like, well, I don't even know what a social credit. I don't know what a social credit system is. No, but see, never, I, I, he's lived in Shanghai for 25 years. He has no idea what that mm, is. OK, that's and, an interesting. OK, how do you know? How well do you know your friend? Well, well, I OK. Mean, all right. Fine. Wait, 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 Peter, you're saying that in China, like uh, people are misinformed, like because there definitely is like, you know, and foreign abuses, foreign right? policy magazine. I mean, Neocon Central mm -hmm. just put just wrote an article last week that Scott Horton sent me and they're like, yeah, this China credit score system is not it's not it doesn't even work. The apps don't even work. It's like it, it's impossible. See, for them you to should you should listen to our stream we have with Logo and uh, Stick Sex and Hammer and then. Well, the one with Amy Teresa is we get more into China, where he was saying, like, in, in Logo is a China shell. He's like this mm -hmm. weird Christian socialist China shell. Uh, but he's, of course, he has a heretical literalist interpretation of Christianity. He says that um, China is the real American republicanism and that the whole social credit thing is... Uh, Mis misinterpreted in the West, and there's no uh, such you know, thing. You know, you know what we should do, Peter. Uh, Peter, yeah. I think I think it would be the coolest thing in the world if you were to debate on BTR with a sticks, hex, and hammer six six six. I think that would be awesome. What would they debate on though? They seem what, pretty. Yeah, what, what am I going to debate? I mean, yeah. No, I I'm think that what I'm, I'm more right wing than he is. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's the debate because I think that because you are more right wing than he is, it would be very interesting to go through the nitty gritty yeah, of where exactly Davis the differences are. Yeah, but Joel oh. Davis and uh, Peter, I don't think that they're the same person. So that's, well, a, that's a different but before, thing. But you have to go soon, Peter. So I wanted to ask you, um, now that, well, there's so many things we could still talk about. Maybe you have to come back, obviously. Sure, um, obviously. You, you have to, uh, I wanted to ask you specifically about the development, or rather, let's call it the devolution of uh, the libertarian movement in America post the Ron Paul campaign of 2012. Like, how did it go from like very like solid liberty oriented people who are more or less largely have Christian or like post Christian values? And how did it go from there to like, you know, Kathy Rizowitz talking about how libertarianism made her polyamorous? Like, how did, like, what happened specifically to the days of Lou Rockwell and uh, Ron Paul till now? You know, Kathy Rizowitz or, well, or whoever, that, right? Like, <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty easy. Um, the left is amazing at infiltrating, mm. and they always have been. I mean, um, what did, um, God, oh, I can't remember the guy's name who spoke at Mises University last year, but he said that um, Marcuse was the greatest 
polit- um, political strategist of all time. Hmm. That he he's like, okay, so socialism isn't going to work economically. So we're just going to implant, so we're going to implant so um, communist and socialist ideas into academia. And we're going to come up with this whole, this whole um, like cultural Marxism and everything. And it's just, it's infested everywhere. And we've seen it infest so many, so much, I mean, it, it infested um, the culture here in the United States to the point where it's like people there. I know so many libertarians that like they're scared, they're so scared to be called like a racist or a homophobe and things like that. They won't denounce anything in the culture that, I mean, they, they used like the excuse of, um, well, it didn't violate the non-aggression principle, so that's good. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, I, but that doesn't mean that it's good and it doesn't mean that it needs to be celebrated. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, personally, I don't... <laughs> I don't want anyone in my covenant community who is like a, you know, a prostitute or something like that, but I don't yeah. know that I want them to go to jail. I no, don't know that's that I want different. Them to be, yeah. You know, yeah. But the whole, they're just, you, the you could just, over, you, you the just lock, lock, the lock them up and put them in your harem. That's, that's yeah. what will happen to the prostitutes. <laughs> the, the left took over the culture. It infested everything and it infested libertarianism. It infested the right too. I mean, you look at before Trump, before Trump, the um, most of the right, if you accused them of being racist, they'd be like, whoa, whoa. And they'd start fighting and everything. And Trump at least made it be, be okay to be like, yeah, I don't care. I'm racist. So what? Fuck yeah. you. You know, but it's like the left has infested everything. And come on, the CIA infested the Libertarian Party a long time ago. Oh, I mean, yeah. you didn't think that you, you didn't think that the left was going to infest the and the left is way more. I mean, the cultural left is way is way better at their job than the CIA is. You oh, didn't yeah. think they were going to work their way into libertarianism. I, I remember exactly back in the, what happened. I remember back in the nineties, there was this Libertopia conference. Um, I watched with Robert Anton Wilson, the sci-fi writer, and uh, he had like a lot of strange ideas. Uh, and he, oh, he, he was, was ta- great though. I mean, he was his books, amazing. The, yeah. the Illuminatus trilogy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But he was talking with. Uh, <laughs> Can you see the Fenords? <laughs> <laughs> um, he was talking with. Was his name Howard Marx or something? Carl, not Carl Marx. So. <laughs> The last guy, his name was his last name was Marx, and he was a, a left radical. But then he turned into libertarianism, and he was talking about how he ran ops in South America and how like he, like how easy it was back in the day to like purchase napalm from the U.S. government if you claimed you were uh, yeah, a farmer. Yeah, that was um, that was um, Carl Hess. Carl Hess, yeah, yeah. yeah he was yeah. a speechwriter for Nixon. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so to me, when people, I remember reading like these, you know these threads on 4chan about how like the libertarian party like the the glowy sort of like infiltrated them as well I'm like well that's kind of like not far off from the truth i like how but... i like how big mustache says that i'm like a turning point usa advertiser <laughs> oh shit um that's awesome that's awesome man wait i have a more nuanced take <laughs> just like really quickly on marcuse i think like i i have problems with the term culture and marxism it doesn't really to me like simplifies it for like a lot of like conservatives. Mm-hmm. I think like if you actually read One Dimensional Man, like there is, if you were to take out all of the bullshit, I think like there is a lot of useful points that he makes. But when you get to like the later parts with Eros and Civilization and his fucking terrible essay on the work of art, uh, oh my God, like the, like that, the free love bullshit is like, you know, but I think like if, 
like it's like if you actually do like sit down and read Lenin, I think you could probably, you know, there there can be some kind of like dissident right thinking there. But when it comes to like the way the libertarians have devolved, like it's it's terrible. Like I I for many years I was a libertarian or an ANCAP, and now it's like you know like mm. like the, like libertarianism may be into uh mm. like a polyamorous it's like that's the the perfect example right there yeah, like I reason mean, magazine in particular just boo, like mm. yeah. i mean they can i mean the problem with reason magazine is it probably 90 percent of what they put out is good but the 10 percent is so awful mm. you know and yeah. so yeah mm. i mean it's cato too cato i mean cato has oh, probably yeah. the best foreign policy department i mean there's only one guy in the foreign policy department that i don't like um but they do good work on foreign policy and things oh, yeah. like that but um you know when it comes to like cultural issues they're just it, that, that's what it is when it, one's reason reason and cato when it comes to cultural issues they're just out of bounds they're just way they're mm. way off you know yeah. and well you know th it, that isn't like um you know i mean I think the reason somebody would say turning point USA is because I'm sorry, you are not going to have an orderly society unless it is distinctly right wing. And I mean, look at Robert Conquest, second law of politics, anything that is not distinctly right wing will go left eventually. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. no, this is a, I gotta say, uh, Peter, this is a fiery debate. Yeah. Why not? This was a debate and I really enjoyed the hell out of it. One thing that I would say though, is that when it comes to this whole conversation upon mutual defense strategies, all that, I want to continue this, but okay. I want to continue this. If you are interested, I would love to have a, uh, bring up, uh, maybe sticks, maybe somebody else to, uh, share within this uh, conversation and sure. to move it forward. I think there's a lot of interesting things to discuss here. I would say, by the way, regarding the comparison, somebody had to, of course, he's going to be like, uh, what's his name? The, uh, Bill, Bill Crystal, you know, or Irving Crystal. I'd say I got to look <laughs> into Irving Crystal more, but I'd say from what I saw of Bill Crystal, not only just like the daddy's boy type of thing, but also the general way that people within that whole group operated when it comes to how they saw Iraq, it's very different, let's say, from how Napoleon operated when he went to Egypt, where he read the entire Quran before going to Egypt. And I think that that is like a level of dedication. Alexander the, Alexander the Great brought a platoon of philosophers with yeah. him because he knew he was going to have to change the culture. Absolutely. And he married, and he, he had his people. He had soldiers that were, would marry into local uh, local populations. Yeah, mm -hmm. some I of the, mean, first, the very the, the very first Buddhist statues were carved by Greek carvers, mm. by sculptors. Yeah. So, but what I do actually like about Napoleon in this case, why I bring up specifically Napoleon, is that the kind of reforms he did end up implementing were ones, let's say, more favorable towards liberalism. But anyway, we're not going to get into that right now. We've got to go into super chats. we got to go into super chats, people. So here we go. Uh, uh, um, we have... Uh, Here's the thing. Irving Crystal was, like, pretty evil in this grand scale yeah. thing. But at least he had, a, like, a brain. He was, like, yeah. a, he, Wait. like of that era. Let's hit the, su let's hit the super chats. i got to go. Yes. Yeah, oh, shit. Okay, yeah, here yes. we go. Lisa Bode, 199 euros. Sneed, hashtag Sneed goes for Geo, the Irish right-wing dissident. Oh, my God. What an insult. Irish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, here we I'm go. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, I love the Irish. The ABC one two three four five six nine nine five dollars hashtag need for Geo and Lisa Bode one ninety nine happy birthday for Saint Petersburg need dopamine. Yeah, so it's my birthday today. I have turned uh, thirty three years old. So there happy we go. Birthday. 
Thank you. Happy birthday. And finally, we have uh, Lisa Bode, one day ninth super chat, no message. So anyway, Peter, I want to thank you so much and let us plug all of your beautiful stuff. So you have a Patreon, which you can go to patreon.com slash Raider. Here we go. Here's the link to the Patreon. And you could find your wonderful podcast at Freeman Beyond the Wall. You are currently uh, uh, into uh, Uncle Ted, Ted Kaczynski, uh, reading his uh, manifesto. So, guys, watch that. Definitely watch the uh, episode that you did with uh, Jay Dyer, Struggle Against Evil. That is a wonderful episode. And, uh, yeah, I think we should get Jay Dyer on the show soon as well. Oh, and Tux loves you. Five U.S. dollar super chat. Happy birthday. Thank you so much, Tux. One of our great patrons, patreon.com slash break the rules. Anyway. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, anything else you would like to promote? Uh, final um, liber- final thoughts. Lib- yes, Libertarian Institute. The um, and Scott Horton and I have a a live stream we do every two weeks on Thursday night at eight o'clock. It's called the End of the Empire. And tonight, tonight at eight o'clock, we will be going live. And I don't know what we'll be talking about, but I'm sure that um, he and I will be disagreeing on something. So. Yeah, you could probably you could probably talking talking about what kind of an ass I was and bringing up all these neocon talking no. points on the stream. No, not, no, I'm, not I'm at kidding. all. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> all right, here we go. No, but this was a very enjoyable conversation. Oh, the documentary. Yes, uh, it's on oh, Netflix. Yes. The monopoly. The monopoly on violence. It's on. It's not on Netflix. It is on um, Amazon Prime. Amazon. Amazon. Monopoly on monopoly on violence. I mean, every. We, we tried to get only the most based libertarians in on that. So it was like a lot, almost all the people from the Mises Institute. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Tom Woods was there. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. all right. Diced, well, my man, Jeff Dice. Mm-hmm. Jeff Dice. <laughs> well, uh, let's see how the dice end up getting rolled. Thank you so much, Peter, for coming in here. Patreon.com slash break the rules. Don't forget to become a patron. That is my birthday wish, by the way. If you become a patron today, patreon.com slash break the rules, I will be eternally grateful. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great perks. I'm not gonna list them all right now, but just trust me, they are great perks. I am putting the link in the chat right now. So anyway, guys, this is it. We're gonna go right now. Thank you so much.